Uh, we're in this uh, series that I said we started last week on Jonah. It's an amazing story. Uh, you've got Jonah, this, this prophet of God, who is given this assignment from God to go to Nineveh of all places, this wicked city in Assyria, and he was to preach against their wickedness. And Jonah simply does not want to go. He doesn't think there's any good reason for God to send him to go. And so he decides not to go to Nineveh. He's going to go off in, in as far the opposite direction as he possibly can go. And here's where we pick up the story. So he, he goes down to Joppa, which is uh, an eastern port in the Mediterranean, where he found a, a ship bound for Tarshish. We read, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He gets on a ship for Tarshish. Now, it's kind of helpful for us to know that this is not some random geographical location. Tarshish is significant not because it's in the opposite direction of, of Nineveh, but because in some senses, it was the opposite kind of city. Nineveh was a military city, and, and Tarshish was a city of wealth. It was a leader and, and kind of pioneer in, in trade, and it was making some people very, very rich, which is not a bad thing in and of itself, but it can often lead to pride and arrogance and, and greed. And, and, and so if that phrase, a, a ship of Tarshish, became a symbol of, of wealth in the ancient city, in the ancient world, I should say. The, fra the phrase comes up a number of times in the Bible. It's, it's in the Old Testament. It's kind of a big deal. Plus, it's hard to pronounce. Ship of Tarshish. I've been trying to learn this all week long. And so uh, I'd love for you just for a moment to try this out. Turn to your neighbor and say, ship of Tarshish, three times real fast. Just do that. Would you, would you go? Go for it. Uh, isn't that fun? Uh, sounds like you're lisping. Tarshish. The ship of Tarshish, uh, these were actual ships. These were real, literal ships, but they'd also become symbols of, of wealth and, and self-sufficiency and power and greed. As we talked about last week, Jonah uh, runs away from God. And, and where does he run? Uh, to put it in more modern day day thinking, he, he runs to like Vancouver or, or Toronto or even you might say the Tri-Cities. But Jonah gets on this ship of Tarshish and a, a lot of people run towards this kind of destination. Jonah thinks, he thinks he's running towards safety. He thinks he's running towards opportunity and, and comfort and, and security. A, a lot of people, by the way, when they run from God, this is a primary destination. This is where a lot of people go. It's an attractive, seductive place to go. But maybe what really looks safe from a human perspective isn't actually safe at all. Maybe the only real safe place is to be in the will of God, even if the will of God takes you to, to Nineveh or, or to some scary place that you don't want to go. Maybe Nineveh is really the, the safe place. So Jonah boards his ship, and then we read in verse 4, then the, the Lord sent a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose. That word violent, actually, uh, literally in the Hebrew text, is, is great. It's the, it's the same word. All, you find it all throughout the book of Jonah when it talks about that great city, Nineveh. Uh, and here it's describing God doing the great thing, sending a great wind and, and a great storm. To be honest, I don't know how I feel about God sending storms, right? 
I like the idea of God sending rainbows and clear skies and, and, and wonderful clear weather. Uh, storms are only attractive when you're storm watching from a beachfront cabin in Tofino. That's the only time I like storms. Otherwise, nobody really likes storm or you really haven't been in a doozy before. And this, this whole idea of God sending storms might lead us to believe that our sort of primitive ideas of how God works and who God is are kind of accurate, that God really doesn't have our best in mind. He's a storm sender after all. There's actually another way of understanding uh, some of what happens when, when storms come our way. Author Timothy Keller talks about this in his, his book about Jonah, how every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. Every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. We, we see this as one of the great themes in, in Scripture. And, and, and folks, you've got to be careful and kind of thoughtful about this because not every storm is a result of disobedience. <laughs> we know this. I mean, we live in a, in a broken world, a messed up world where it's just stormy a lot. That's one thing. But the whole book of Job is kind of a message about how, you know, good people, good things don't always just happen to good people, right? Uh, there's sometimes a great example of that. Keller puts it this way. He says, the Bible doesn't say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. A couple of examples. You, you can't just eat anything you want. You can't just eat a diet of sugar constantly and expect that you'll be healthy. You're, you're gonna exp- it's going to lead to unhealth, right? We, we, we get that. You, you, you can't, when it comes to relationships, you can't mistreat people or, or treat them indifferently and then expect them to be your friends. There's a way God made the world. There's a way God made you, and he, he designed us with purpose and intent and, and made us to, to flourish. And when we violate that design, we find ourselves not finding a flourishing life like we want. I mean, in, in, in Scripture, in the, the Proverbs and, and, and Psalms, they talk, one example, they talk about a violent person is dragged away by what? His own violence. There's this kind of natural consequence to sin. When we're disobedient, we might think that we're breaking God's law when, in fact, we're breaking ourselves against the law, God's law. We're breaking ourselves against reality about how he's made us and wired us. By the way, some acts of disobedience have more immediate consequences than others. Um, when I was 14, I got caught shoplifting from a Kmart store in Toronto. And as I'm walking out the store, the security guards grab me and they pulled me back to to a back room where the police came and they, they banned me from that Kmart store for life. Not such a bad thing. I mean, they don't even exist anymore, so I feel okay about that. But, um, and they called my parents in. It was pretty horrific, actually. Um, the, the consequence of, of embarrassment and shame over my crime uh, was, was quite immediate. It was, it was pretty instant feedback for me. And they say the best kind of parenting is when you're disciplining your children to have it as, as close to the infraction as possible so that they connect the dots, right? You parents know this. Um, sometimes the consequences are far more subtle, you know, I, I, far more silent, right? 
We sin and the sky, the sky doesn't you know, open and God judges or we feel the consequences of it. It's, it's a little bit like getting a radiation treatment where, where it happens invisibly, but over time it, it impacts us and we, we bear that. It, it's kind of like holding a grudge, for example. You know, immediately it's not necessarily going to hurt you, but over time you find that that act of holding a grudge towards somebody actually begins to twist and harm your soul and your heart. It closes you up as a person over over years of holding on to that bitterness, right? There's those kind of sins that have a lingering effect over time. And, and as my mom would say to me, be, I, I, I seriously have memories of my mom saying just this, be sure your sin will find you out, Derwin, right? And there's some truth to that. Our, we never can kind of run from it. Now for Jonah, the, the consequence of his sin comes almost immediately, but we'll also see that through this storm in Jonah's life, Jonah will also discover God's mercy. He'll, he'll, he'll learn about God's grace in, in whole new ways. And this is good news for us. When, when storms come in our lives, and whether they're a consequence of our wrongdoing or not, the promise of Romans 8, 8.28 remains true. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God, that means whatever you're going through, whatever storm you're in, God can use it. He can transform it for good. He can form your character. He can shape that. He can do good things through it. You, you probably can think of examples of that in your life where, where you've messed up or you've been in a storm and, and, and God somehow blessed others through that. We're told a storm uh, that Jonah was in was so great that the ship that he was on threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. This is a major league storm. These are, these are professional sailors, you know? They don't panic easily, and here they are panicking. They're, they're freaking out. They're so scared that they take their cargo, their precious cargo, by the way. This, this cargo would have represented their, their year's income, maybe multiple year's income. They wouldn't do this lightly their livelihood, they're, they're throwing it into the sea to try to, to, to keep the ship afloat. The storm's so bad that each of them are now crying out to their own God. Now, outside of Israel, the ancient world really didn't have this idea of, of one God or, or monotheism. There was the idea of, of every group, uh, every tribe, every nation kind of having their own, own God or gods, right? It's kind of ironic. We sometimes think that we invented the idea of multiculturalism, especially here in Canada or something, right? But, but this is a very diverse, very multicultural crew. And each one is, is praying to his own God. And, and here's the thing, when, when the sea is calm, any old God with any old name will do. But when you're, when you're in a storm, you wanna make sure the God you're praying to is real. <laughs> You're, you really want, you're, you're hoping that one of those gods is real. Anybody remember what Jonah's doing at this point? Sleeping in the bottom of the boat. I, I just love that part of the story. Uh, when I think about that part of the story, I think about my son, Caleb. Yeah, I do. Who, uh, he's never been on a boat that he couldn't fall asleep on. You know, we're, you know, we're on a ferry, and, and our family might be all looking out the window, and we might say, whales, and he'd like... 
and, and he's right back to drooling in a moment. You know, it's just like, just so many experiences of that, son. Love that about you. Jonah's sleeping in this boat. For whatever reason, the, 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 the stormy waves are rocking him to sleep. And he says to Jonah, the captain comes, the captain's kind of stunned by this, and he comes to Jonah and he says, you know, how can you sleep? I, I love how the old King James Version says this, uh, puts this. He, it says, what meanest thou, O sleeper? <laughs> but what the captain says to Jonah, get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. Now, this is, this is quite the irony. This is, this is a, just a fabulous story. One of the ironies is that you've got this pagan Gentile captain. <laughs> he's calling the, God, the man of God to prayer, right? The pagan is doing what prophets do, calling a man to pray. The prophet's doing what pagans do, sleeping during prayer time, <laughs> right? God is just up to something in this book. Now, Jonah does nothing at this point, and so the sailors who are desperate, they cast lots. They're, they're trying to figure out what the problem is, and all of their lots point to Jonah being the problem. And so the sailors ask him, who are you and what are you doing? And Jonah answers. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Check out their response to, to Jonah's words. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And in parentheses, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. I actually kind of think that's funny. How did that come up in conversation? You know, he's getting on the boat. It's kind of like customs. Where are you going, sir? Well, I'm running away from the Lord. Thank you. You know, that, <laughs> how, that, how that came about, I don't know. But the sailors already knew, we're told, that, that Jonah was running away from his God. But they figured that this was just a tribal God of Israel. You know, Assyrians have a God. The Tarshish has a God. Israel has a God or, or maybe gods in their mind. They figured he's just running away from his own God. And then they see this, this storm, and, and Jonah says to them, there is the God, and, he, and he's real. And he's the one who sent the storm. He, he's not just Israel's God, and, and, and he reigns over heaven. He reigns over earth. He's the God of the land. He's the God of the sea, and he has a name, and he wants to be known. And they're terrified because in these moments, their whole understanding of, of God's, uh, of, of, of reality is, is getting turned upside down. They have their eyes open now to, to Jonah's God on this ship of Tarshish in, in the middle of a storm. Something remarkable is happening. And, and it struck me as I was thinking about this story. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. You see, if Jonah had come to them proud... If Jonah had come to them as a successful prophet, saying to them, men of Tarshish, uh, my God is better than your God. My God is, is bigger than your God. He's the supreme one. He's the supreme God. How would they have responded to that, do you figure? I, I don't think it would have been, hey, it's great that he's your God, but don't tell me he's my God, right? That would be a good Canadian answer, I think, wouldn't he? You know, it's good for you. I'm glad that's working for you, but that doesn't work for me. And, and so I, I don't think they would have received that at all. They would have rejected him and that idea with ease. But here's Jonah. I mean, he comes actually not saying anything about God. He doesn't even want them to know God's name. 
and he waited until he had to to talk about God. They, they drag it from him. And get this. One of the reasons that they're going to believe Jonah is, uh, pardon me, they're going to believe Jonah is he comes to them as a screw-up. He comes to them as a runaway. He'd been a prophet all these years, and this will be the greatest you know, conversion to, to faith he'd ever seen. It would be Jonah's failure that God would use to bring these Gentiles to, to faith in God. I think this ought to be great encouragement to us in our day. Um, for all kinds of reasons, personally, but, but even corporately, a day where, doesn't it seem like the failures of the Christian church are on, the, on display for all to see? I mean, hasn't that been the case in, in, in our recent history? Probably all through the church's history, right? Uh, doesn't it seem like, like the church is often on the margins, at the sideline in our culture? Christian values are, are not looked upon uh, with esteem, I think we'd like to have a church of spotless reputation. I, I think we'd like, as a church, to wield great power and, and influence in our culture. And yet this story reminds us that God often does his best work through weakness. Often how he works best. It reminds us that we have a God who can take what is a very crooked path, a very broken church, and use it to bless the world. Remarkably and consistently, a God that can accomplish his purpose in us and through us in spite of our brokenness. Talk about grace. And thinking about this, let me just bring kind of a Mother's Day thought for you this morning. Moms, um, some of the strongest people I know are moms or wannabe moms or moms in the making or mentors. Uh, just, uh, just some of the best people I know. But here's, here's something I also know. Moms are often hardest on themselves. They're so hard on themselves. And the expectations uh, upon women in our day are just sky high. There's, there's always some way in which you're feeling like you, you don't measure up somehow, I, I think. And you know what God would say to you, I think? My strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect not because of your well-behaved kids. My strength is made perfect not because you've accomplished all this in your family. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And my grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that good? God, God seems to do his best work in us and through us when we're not strong but when we're weak. That ought to be comforting for all of us. Well, Jonah, he's, this, the sea keeps getting worse. Uh, it it gets, gets rougher and rougher. The, the storm keeps getting stronger. The sailors ask Jonah, they say, what should we do to make the sea calm down? And Jonah says, just imagine him saying that. God bless you. <laughs> he didn't say that, actually. But they ask Jonah, what should we do to make the sea calm down? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, for the first time, Jonah says, I'm not going to run from God anymore. God, whatever it takes, whatever the cost is, I won't run from you anymore. The next amazing development in the story is, is the sailors don't do it. They, they, 
These guys, they don't want to sacrifice Jonah. Instead, we're told, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Their lives are at stake, but they don't want to sacrifice the life of this this Hebrew stranger. It's amazing, again, because (laughs) these are the Hebrew scriptures. And, and, And these sailors on this ship of Tarshish have more compassion and, and raw humanity uh, towards the Hebrew prophet than the Hebrew prophet had towards the people of Nineveh. Part of, part of what the writer is telling us here is that we have to be real careful about judging who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, who's on God's side and, and who's not on God's side. We have to be careful in making these snap judgments about that kind of thing. There's simply no room for pride or or, or a spirit of, of superiority or exclusivity or, or a sense of judgmentalism in the, the people of God. So that the, the ship of Tarshish, the sailors of Tarshish, they're risking their own lives. They're trying desperately to row the boat ashore, but the storm's too strong. They finally say a prayer. Now, they'd already been praying, right? They'd been praying to their, each their own God. Now, notice who they pray to now. Then they cried out to the Lord. And the, the word there is the Hebrew word for Yahweh, which, who is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the, the, the name that God revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. I am who I am. They're now praying to that God. They, they pray, oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not help, hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. They're saying, you, O oh Lord, are sovereign. You are you reign. They're praying here to the Lord. So they take Jonah to the side of the boat. Imagine this moment. You got awesome storm. You got terrified sailors. You got this runaway prophet and this capsizing boat. Don't you kind of wonder what's going on in in Jonah's mind? He's going to die. He knows it, but but he's tired of running from God. He'd rather die than keep on running from God. And so he's thrown into the water, and in that moment, on that ship, in that sea, with those sailors, all of a sudden, everything's calm. I mean, the storm's gone. We, we talked about this last week, how sometimes when you run from God, you, you run long enough, and, and you got this kind of storm of disobedience in your heart, or maybe in your circumstances, because there's always a price to pay for running from God. It, it could be in your behavior, or it could be in, in a relationship, or, or maybe it's running away from your calling, and, and a storm hits. And maybe the storm is actually inside. The storm is in your heart, or, or, or it's in your emotions. Of course, it could be in, in your surroundings, but, but you know you're running, and the storm keeps going until you, you finally say, all right, God, I'll stop running. You know, my life, my, my behavior, my relationships, my time, my money, my attitudes, all of it, it's yours. I'm not going to run anymore. I surrender. I, I, I give up. I, and, and maybe in that moment, I don't know if you've been there, but it feels like you're going to die. But you do it, and the storm stops. It feels like I, I've had so many moments in my life just like that, where I was running or I was fighting with God over something, having this this part of me that didn't want to go where he wanted me to go. And 
there was a storm going on, and when I finally said, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll listen, I'll submit, it's amazing how in that moment, he doesn't always take the external storm away, but you know what he does, is the storm that's going on in my heart is gone in a moment, and he floods my heart with peace. And you find you do, you do that. As you, you give your life to God, you surrender your life to God, you find that, that suddenly all the fighting's God, all that angst, all that stress, and God fills your heart with this peace that passes understanding, peace that we just don't understand. I said last week that Jesus is all over this book of Jonah. We see him everywhere. And, 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 and thinking forward a little bit, Jesus would come one day and he would be in a storm, in a boat with his disciples, and the the storms are raging, and what's Jesus doing? Sleeping in the bottom of the boat, absolutely. And his disciples have to go to him and say, what are you doing sleeping? Wake up, Jesus. And, And Jesus gets up, and he says, storm, stop. You see, Jesus is the great storm stopper. And when he speaks that into your life, things things turn around in a moment. And I don't know where you're at today, but, but maybe you feel like you're in a raging storm and you just need to go over to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you help me? Would you help me? Would you, would you, you know what I'm going through. You know why I'm here. I, 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 can't, even sort out, I can't even sort all that out, but, but the storm stopper, Jesus, the great storm stopper, wants to come into our lives and he wants to, to, to calm the raging seas and, and wants to remind us just of who he is. It's pretty awesome what happens in the Jonah story. I love this. This amazing thing happens. We're told, yes, the raging seas grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. That's an act of worship. And they made vows to him. That's an act of commitment or devotion. It's unbelievable. This, This pagan boat becomes a place of worship. This ship of Tarshish becomes a temple of the living God. That wasn't Jonah's plan. He was supposed to be going in in the other direction. If he'd actually followed God, he'd be in Nineveh by now. But, But it turns out that these sailors on the ship, they're not like extras in the story. They're part of God's story too. It turns out that God's story is so big that it's also about Tarshish. It turns out Jonah thought he was running from God. Jonah thought he'd, he'd thwart what God wanted to do. It turns out that God is at work in Jonah in ways he can't even dream of. Folks, what a God. Now, how strange this story would be at this point to readers in Israel. Think about this. At this point, pagan Gentiles are, are worshiping the God of Israel on a ship of Tarshish. And Israel's prophet, the man of God, is sinking down into the ocean depths. The, the, the story doesn't end there, and we'll, we'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. But the sailors come to know God, but for Jonah, his kind of adventure is, is just beginning. Something, God has something wonderful for him, and we're going to look at that. But for us, I want to stop, stop with this this morning. I, I just want to say, it, it's never too late to quit running from God. It's never, never too late to quit running from God. How, however long you've been running, God hasn't forsaken you. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to, to, to meet you where you are. 
It's never too late to quit. And it's never too soon, right? Been running a day. <laughs> the sooner the better, right? Turn to him. And, and maybe you're in that storm and, and God's been, you've been having a fight with God about something in your life, something where, where you go, I don't want to submit to him there. I, I really don't want to do what God wants to do there in my life. I want to go my way. And you're having this, this, this argument with God. And, and this morning, maybe one of the best things you could do would be to, to kind of say, just, God, I give up. I surrender. I'm going to stop running in this, and I'm going to say yes to you. Whatever, whatever you have for me, God. I, I believe your way is better than my ways. We talked a lot about last week. God's trustworthy. And, and we can turn to him wherever we're at and be absolutely dead positive of his love and acceptance and grace available for each of us. And I, I also love this fact because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And there's a lot of, a lot of things. If I could do some do-overs, I'd do some do-overs. But the story of God's grace that he weaves in my life and in your life is so good that even in spite of our mistakes, he actually uses those to bless the world. And, and so maybe, maybe God wants to this morning for some of us reframe your failure. Maybe you've been divorced. Uh, maybe you, you have a conflict with a, a, a parent or a child or a family member. Uh, maybe there's, there's been some great regret, and it wouldn't take you long to think about what your regrets would be. How might God want to use that and use it to bless others? If you'd actually offer that to him, actually be open to, to going where he wants to go and say, God, that's part of me. And God says, hey, look what I did with Jonah. Those, those pagan Gentile sailors, they love God now. <laughs> because of Jonah's failure. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray this morning. I want to tell you, one other man of God was thrown into the sea. Jesus, when he went to the cross, uh, he actually died not for our obedience. He died for our disobedience. He died for our brokenness, our failures. He did this on our behalf, and, and uh, he bore it all. And so we all have the promise of a new start with him. And so, God, this morning, we just want to thank you for, for this story of Jonah, meant to remind us of our own journey with you and that you have plans for us, God, good plans. And even when we take matters into our own hands, even when we go the wrong way, you can, can bring recovery and, and hope even in the midst of that, Father. And I pray you do that for, for those today. And God, for some, for some of us, maybe we needed to hear that there is a God in heaven. There's one God, the God, the maker of heaven and earth. And, and today, they've been, they've been kind of playing around with a God of their own making for a long time. And, and today, you're, you're inviting them to follow you and to bow the knee and to worship the one true God. The gods they've been worshiping, ha- that doesn't help them in the storm. And I would pray that that you might give them grace to turn to you and to call on your name and to know your faithful love poured out towards them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Help us to be learners in your kingdom. We want to grow. We want to walk your way. We want to live and not 
live according to your law and not violate the way we're made. Give us grace to do so, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a good God we have. It's what a privilege to be able to call on his name. So now receive this benediction this morning. May, may God bless you, the God of maker, the maker of heaven and earth, the God of the land and the God of the sea. May he bless you. May, may the Lord make his light shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn toward you. And even if you're in a storm, may he give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.